So in summary, autoimmune disease is a very, very complicated topic. I think we're just scratching the surface here in regards to research um, with lifestyle medicine and um, epigenetics. It's part genetics and part environment. Nutrition does play a huge role. The gut microbiome is tied to the immune system. Fasting can help decrease inflammation, um, but and again, it's a bandage. It's not the cure all, the cure. There is no cure for autoimmune diseases, but you can put it to remission. Okay, once you have autoimmune disease, you'll always have autoimmune disease, but it doesn't mean that you have to have symptoms of it. And it is important to eat a plant-predominant diet for an anti-inflammatory diet, and a whole food plant-based diet is an excellent option. Welcome to the Plant-Based DFW Podcast Weekly Show with Dr. Riz and Maya, a show broadcasted from the Dallas-Fort Worth area that focuses on lifestyle medicine. This is the use of evidence-based lifestyle therapeutic approaches, such as a whole food plant-based diet, regular physical exercise, adequate sleep, and stress management to treat, prevent, and oftentimes reverse lifestyle-related chronic diseases that are all too prevalent. Every week, they feature a guest who speaks on one of these lifestyle medicine pillars. This show is for you, the person who is seeking to improve your overall wellness and quality of life. So whether you are driving, walking, or relaxing at home, we hope this show will provide you one more tool for your wellness toolbox. Let's meet today's podcast guest. Dr. Micah Yu is an integrated rheumatologist who incorporates complementary medicine with traditional rheumatology. He is double board certified in internal medicine and lifestyle medicine. He obtained his MD from Chicago Medical School and holds a master's in healthcare administration and biomedical sciences. He completed his internal medicine residency and rheumatology fellowship at Loma Linda University in Southern California. He's also in the Andrew Weil Integrative Medicine Fellowship at the University of Arizona. He's currently working at the Dr. Lifestyle Clinic that is in Newport Beach, California. Dr. Yu has a very unique perspective on autoimmune disease and arthritis as he is both a patient with arthritis and a physician. Dr. Yu was diagnosed with gout at the age of 17 and later diagnosed with spondyloarthritis as well. He has been able to significantly improve his arthritis through plant-based nutrition. He's able to understand his patient's medical problems from a patient perspective. The foundation of his practice is to combine allopathic medicine with complementary medicine. He works with his patients to come up with a treatment plan that not only fights the disease, but also is aligned with his patient's goals. His primary focus is on autoimmune disease and arthritis. Rheumatologists treat conditions such as osteoarthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, lupus, surgeons, gout, fibromyalgia, myocystitis, vasculitis, and other inflammatory conditions. As a fellow, he has published multiple papers on osteoporosis and spearheaded a double-blind randomized control trial on curcumin supplementation in systemic lupus. He has also had multiple presentations at the American College of Rheumatology National Conferences. He has been featured in multiple articles and webinars, including Forbes Magazine, Spondyloarthritis Association of America, Lupus LA, and Creaky Joints. His social media handle is at MyAutoImmuneMD on Facebook, Instagram, 
and Twitter. In the first half of the episode, Dr. Yu will provide a presentation with his story and will also explain the various autoimmune diseases that he treats. If you're interested in seeing the video version of the presentation, I will include the link in the show notes. Make sure to listen to the entire episode as we will ask him a handful of questions. Dr. Micah Yu will also be part of a massive summit coming your way. It's packed with awesome insights, tips, and tools to get you thriving in life. Join us along with these incredible health and wellness experts in the Thrive 5 Formula Virtual Summit this May 5th. As you sign up, you'll enjoy lifetime access to workshops and talks with over 45 speakers. And you can register at tinyurl.com forward slash Maya 50 off. That means that right now through April 14th, you can get this wonderful summit for 50% off. Dr. Micah Yu is licensed in 17 states and that includes Texas. Hope you enjoy this episode. Well, so welcome Dr. Micah Yu. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Dr. Riz and Maya. I really appreciate um, you bringing me on and I'm so excited to chat with you about autoimmune disease and my story today. Yeah, we're, we're excited to have you. I mean, it's when we've had you on our minds for ever since we met you guys, you know, a couple of years back. I was really shocked to hear how, um, you know, how specialized this field is, but also how few people enter the field. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get right to it. Yeah, there's not many of us, about only 200 of us um, get out of training every year. So um, okay. it's a fascinating field. Yeah. So that's about four per state, right? So that's not too many <laughs> when you break it down that way. Most state of California, there's 20 of us. Some states have zero. Oh my goodness. Wow. We'll, we'll also learn, um, you're now licensed in 17 states to practice telemedicine, which I think is awesome because we are, we're always hearing of people that are looking for specialists like yourself. Yes. We'll, get, we'll get right to it. Yeah, we can talk afterwards. Let me just share my screen uh, presentation for you all. So the presentation is called uh, Fighting Autoimmune Disease with an Integrative Rheumatologist. Um, I am located in Newport Beach, California. I do see patients all throughout the U.S. and internationally as well. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And if you're interested in seeing me in clinic, that's uh, drlifestyle.org. So a little bit about me. Um, my background is I got my bachelor's in science and business at UC Riverside. Then I went to Chicago for medical school. And then I did my residency in internal medicine and fellowship in rheumatology at Loma Linda University. I'm double board certified in internal medicine and lifestyle medicine, and I'm currently in my integrated medicine fellowship at the University of Arizona. So brief background on how I came to um, be very passionate about lifestyle medicine and rheumatology. We have to go back to my childhood. That's where it all began. I was overweight. I was eating a standard American diet, um, getting takeout, fast food, frozen food, whatever you can name it, I ate it. Okay, it's uh, even Asian food, even though it can be very healthy, I was re- eating the very um, standardized American Asian food. So fast forward to high school, still overweight. Um, I was playing football, I wanted to lose weight, and I wanted to get stronger. So I eventually found the Atkins diet, the infamous Atkins diet full of protein, um, meat, um, dairy. So I, I ate about 200 grams of protein a day while weighing about 150 pounds. Um, way over than what's suggested. So eventually that caught up to me um, and I ended up getting something called gout. First of all, I, I did lose weight and I did get stronger. Um, I lost about 30 pounds on this diet. However, um, overnight I got an acute um, arthrit- arthritic attack on my big toe. That's not my foot, but that is what it looked like. 
Um, so overnight at 4 a.m., I woke up. I felt someone used a piece of wood and slammed it against my toe. That's how it felt. It used to be known as the disease of kings because kings ate a lot of rich foods, like a lot of seafood, a lot of heavy meats, organ meats. Um, and I think Nostradamus had it, Benjamin Franklin, uh, King Henry also had it as well. So many different um, famous people had a gout. However, my pain, it transformed over the years to unexplained symptoms because gout usually maybe one or two joints that are um, involved. It can be more, of course, uh, but that's not common. So my pain went to the TMJs, uh, the wrists, the hands, the toes, the knees. Um, this is my foot during medical school. It was uh, swollen. I went to see a couple of rheumatologists. They couldn't really explain what I had. Couple of labs were positive for inflammation, a CRP, ESR, but the rest of my antibodies were negative for autoimmune disease. But luckily, um, at my uh, residency, I went to see the rheumatology program there, um, and the doctors that eventually became my bosses, and they diagnosed with spondyloarthritis. So, if you've heard the diagnosis ankylosing spondylitis, that's an autoimmune disease attack, uh, mainly of the lower back and the sacroiliac joint area. Um, and I have a variation of that. I have peripheral spinal arthritis. So I don't have the back pain. I do have the pains everywhere else on the hands and legs. Um, so it is autoimmune. I was never really counted on diet and lifestyle. I was there, They had some diet counseling on gout, but it was never a whole food plant-based diet. It was mainly to avoid uh, meat and uh, beans and all these type of foods, which are now a little bit outdated. Um, this is about almost 15 years ago that I'm talking about these um, guidelines. So I eventually got diagnosed with this. I do have gout as well. Um, and I noticed that there was an association with food and my arthritis. I didn't know what it was. I didn't take any meds. I refused it. Um, I was basically self-managing it. I told myself if I get x-ray damage, then I would start taking medications. Luckily, I didn't have to get the x-ray damage to start my medications. I found um, a whole food plant-based diet through, um, through How Not to Die. That's the first book I read from Michael Greger and then watched Forks Over Knives. This is me 10 years apart in 2009, um, right before medical school, or maybe this was being in medical school, I went on a trip to Europe, grossly overweight, 160 pounds. This is me in 2019, 130 pounds. This is from eating plants. I did not expect that much weight loss. It's very natural. And in three months of going on a whole food plant-based diet, my joint pain pretty much went away. And my CRP went negative after three months. And actually, my labs, I got I drew labs recently about a month ago, and my ESR finally went to negative. ESR is another inflammatory market and went to negative for the first time ever um, in my life since I've been diagnosed. So my ESR, CRP are now negative and you get some joint pains here and there every now and then. I was pretty much, yeah, I was in remission, total remission for about almost two years. And I started eating some little bit more processed food. Um, I work overnight sometimes and I get a little bit stressed. So the stress does catch up to me sometimes, um, but the pain is nowhere near where it was before. It's like one to two out of 10 pain um, compared to what it was in the past. So now I use my social media um, to really empower followers. Um, to really get the word out there that someone like me does exist. Um, there's someone that has been in the patient's shoes and is a doctor of uh, rheumatic diseases as well. 
So I have been able to use a whole food plant-based diet and lifestyle medicine to patients to remission without medications. Of course, not every person or patient is able to do this, but it is possible. So I'm here to give hope to a lot of my followers. Um, you can find me on Instagram and other social media through my handle, MyAutoimmuneMD, and my website is coming out very, very soon. And me and my wife um, create our doctor lifestyle clinic uh, where she uses lifestyle medicine, primary care, and mental health health treatments to help her patients where I use autumn disease, uh, where I treat autumn disease and um, use lifestyle medicine to help with that. So what is the field of rheumatology? Rheumatology is not a field that treats all autoimmune diseases, but we are known as an autumn disease specialist, specifically for the muscle skeletal system and connective tissue diseases. We're also known as the immunologist of medicine. So I treat these uh, diseases. These are just some of them. Um, gout is not an autoimmune disease. Osteoarthritis is not autoimmune disease. We do treat arthritis that is not autoimmune. We do treat osteoporosis and fibromyalgia that are not autoimmune as well. This is just a sample. We treat many other conditions also. So usually we are treating patients sometimes where they see 10 other specialists and no one has an answer. So we're mainly the detectives. So we're sort of like Dr. House of medicine. So this is an example of a disease that I treat rheumatoid arthritis um, this is end-stage rheumatoid arthritis, uh, where patients are pretty much not treated for a very long time. Um, pain, you get inflammatory pain in the hands and feet, and these are just some of the examples of signs that we look for. Lupus is another autumn disease. This is very classic butterfly rash. Uh, lupus can affect any organ in the body, including your blood cells, and these are just some signs that we look for as well. Gout is something that I have is end-stage gout. Um, gout, when you don't treat it properly, um, it's untreated. You get something called tophi, which are chalky substances full of uric acid that builds up in your body and joints. And I've seen this in my clinic. Um, these patients don't want to get treated. Um, they refuse treatment. They don't see the doctors. And this is what happens. Ankylosing spondylitis, something I talked about earlier. Um, fusion, this is something called bamboo spine. This is end-stage ankylosing spondylitis. Inflammation in the back and hip area. You get buttock pain as well. Um, this can happen in your 20s and 30s, um, typically. And these patients, they have um, low back pain, untreated. Um, they go from doctor to doctor. No one thinks about ankle spondylitis. They think it's a mattress issue. They think it's, they think it's a mechanical issue, but really they have an autoimmune disease going on. And usually if they're lucky, they end up with a rheumatologist sooner rather than later. Myositis is an, another autoimmune disease of the muscles. Um, it can affect um, the lungs as well. All our autoimmune diseases can affect the lungs. Um, but these patients usually can't lift their hand, can't lift their shoulders, can't lift their um, legs. They can't walk up the stairs. Um, and that's very, very classic. This is another example of an autoimmune disease. Um, can be very, very debilitating as well. Psoriatic arthritis is another autoimmune disease, another arthritis, typically coupled with psoriasis as well, which is another autoimmune disease attack of the skin. Sjogren's is an autoimmune disease that attacks the um, lacrimal glands and um, the mucosal glands and can also give you arthritis, brain fog, lung issues, can increase your risk of cancer as well, specifically lymphoma. Um, very, very um, classic rheumatology disease. So classically, these patients have dry eyes and dry mouth. Vasculitis is another autoimmune disease that we treat as well. Um, you can translate it into um, inflammation of the vessels. So you can get pretty much any symptom under the sun. Um, you can get autoimmune hearing loss from this. You can get chronic sinus issues, joint pain, anything you can think of, <laughs> you can get it from vasculitis. So very typically, 
is treated by a rheumatologist and hopefully you can get in sooner rather than later. I've seen patients die from these diseases. It can be very, very dangerous. So one in five Americans do have an autoimmune disease um, and that's spread across all different medical systems. And this is just something from the AARDA, so Autoimmune Disease Association. And basically it's saying that there is an increase in these diseases, but it's likely due to environmental factors, not genes, because our genes haven't really changed in the past hundred years or so. So rheumatoid arthritis and smaller arthritis, even though it's rare, it is when, when you couple it to the amount of people in the nation, it is quite a lot. There's about 1 million Americans with rheumatoid arthritis. And these are just some of the other numbers of patients affected as well. So like I said earlier, there is a rise in autoimmune diseases, about 5 to 7% a year across all different spectrums, including neurologic, gastrointestinal, and endocrinologic. So why I'm so passionate about lifestyle medicine and nutrition and uh, integrated medicine and functional medicine as well, because I'm, my goal is to treat the root cause of disease. Because if I don't, then I'm giving biologics my medications all day, which can be an average of $20,000 a year not cheap to treat these diseases. And autoimmune disease is a combination of genetics and environment. So you can't have autoimmune disease without the genetic component. So why am I doing integrated medicine? Integrated medicine is so important because we're looking at genetics, diet, sleep, stress, exercise, substance abuse, environmental toxins, infections, and trauma, childhood trauma specifically. And lifestyle medicine is a part of integrated medicine. In lifestyle medicine is a part of functional medicine as well. Before lifestyle medicine became popular and famous, the field of integrated medicine needed the way. Integrated medicine um, was the forefront talking about all these different things. Now, integrated medicine, functional medicine, lifestyle medicine all have something very, very common. They talk about these different things, um, specifically your lifestyle, but they also emphasize plants as well. Each of them have a different philosophy, but it's grounded in predominant plants as the diet. So this is why lifestyle mess is important because we talk about all these important factors underlying diseases. So today we're going to talk about some objectives. I, I know I'm going I'm to briefly glance over some anti-inflammatory foods. I know you talk about a lot of this on your podcast. So now I'm not going to dig into it too much. And then we're going to talk a little bit about gut microbiome and intermittent fasting. So nutrition, eat the rainbow, um, this is heavily emphasized um, in all fields of alternative medicine and complementary medicine. And there's so many diets out there for autoimmune disease, autoimmune profile diet, which is a paleo diet, there's a carnivore diet, keto diet, vegan diet, Mediterranean diet, whole food plant-based, pescatarian, vegetarian. So really, there's so many variations of this out there that there's a lot of misinformation. So what should we really be eating with, as a patient with autoimmune diseases? And uh, Dr. Riz and Maya, you'll, you'll find some commonalities with autoimmune disease because you guys are very, very uh, passionate about cardiovascular disease. Um, and it's basically the same principles, um, the same message, plant-predominant diet, whole food plant-based diet. So turmeric is um, another plant that can be very, very powerful for anti-inflammation. Turmeric, they write books on it. They use it in lattes nowadays. Um, they even sell it for dogs on Amazon. And they've been studying in... Um, curcute in lupus as well. Very few studies have been done outside the, in the world, um, but there are studies done. And it's been shown to have an anti-inflammatory effect through modulation of T cells. 
it does decrease the inflammatory cytokine tumorous necrosis factor in interleukin 6 and interleukin 1, which we do have medications to fight these inflammatory cytokines in rheumatology. So cytokines are cell-to-cell -cell communicators. These are communication signals that tell our body to kick up inflammation. So these are used when you have, you're fighting bacterial infections or viruses, but you don't want them to be chronic or else they can stimulate too much inflammation in the body, possibly inciting autoimmune diseases. And these are all the types of different diseases that curcumin has been studied in. Resveratrol is um, found in grapes, another phytonutrient that is anti-inflammatory. And it's been studied potential mechanism to help us fight um, joint disease. Fiber is so important for fighting inflammation. We don't eat enough fiber in a day. Only 5% of Americans reach the minimal uh, dietary recommendation for fiber. So usually it's around 25 grams for women and 38 grams for men. Fiber is anti-inflammatory. It's been studied um, in multiple studies in the NHANES data. The more fiber you're eating, the less the inflammatory um, markers are high. So the more fiber you eat, the lower your inflammation as measured by C-reactive protein, the lower chance of obesity and metabolic syndrome. Fiber um, has also been studied in knee pain, uh, specifically in osteoarthritis. So this study showed that the higher the dietary fiber was obtained, the lower um, the amount of knee pain was felt. And omega-3 and, and omega-6 fatty acids are very, very important. Omega-3 fatty acids are anti-inflammatory and omega-6 fatty acids are inflammatory. So your omega-6 fatty acids are mainly obtained from your Western diet. So processed and red meat, um, processed oil, um, processed food, your junk food, all that is omega-6 fatty acids. It's always fighting against your anti-inflammatory omega-6 fatty acids. So um, your uh, flax seeds and chia seeds have omega-3 fatty acids. Um, your fish have your omega-3 fatty acids. In pretty much all, um, almost a lot of rheumatology journals, fish is anti-inflammatory. Um, but the reason why I don't promote fish that much is because you have to think about the environment. Even though fish can be anti-inflammatory, Fish does have PCBs and other environmental toxins from the ocean that can get into it. So I don't recommend fish as a main way to get your omega-3 fatty acids if you don't have to um, because of the environmental toxins. Fish do get the omega-3 fatty acids from the ocean, from algae. So if you're vegan, I recommend get it from a um, or algae supplement if you need your omega-3 fatty acids. Um, the flax seeds and chia seeds um, are not as bioavailable. They don't break down to the DHA and EPA as um, well as just getting it from an algae um, source. Uh, I think it's a 10 to 15% um, transformation from ALA to EPA and DHA. And you need omega-3 fatty acids. The reason why it's anti-inflammatory is because of resolvents or protectants. When you have inflammation and you need to resolve the inflammation, your resolvents and protectants are there to resolve the inflammation. Okay, that's when you start getting better. It's because these are um, in play. So if you're not eating omega enough omega-3 fatty acids, then the omega-6 fatty acids are overwhelming the system. So it's a seesaw effect. So I'm just briefly touch on pro-inflammatory foods. We all know this already. A lot of junk food out there, very classic standard American diet. But what's not as well known is that salt in high excess is pro-inflammatory. It is um, promoting your inflammatory T cells and downregulating your anti-inflammatory T cells. So your 
your T regulatory cells are anti-inflammatory T cells. Those are psychologists in your immune system. Your T regulatory cells are telling your body to stop fighting inflammation when you're done fighting a virus or bacteria. But it also is used to tell your body that um, your own cells are um, belong to you and it's not a foreign substance. So almost in all autoimmune diseases, T regulatory cells are downregulated. Um, so your body is fighting itself. And this is from the English Journal of Medicine, a very prominent uh, medical journal. So interleukin-1623, tumor necrosis factor, and interleukin-17 are all upregulated from excess salt. And these are all inflammatory cytokines. These kick up inflammation, okay? Um, let's try not to get bogged down to the details, but as a rheumatologist, I love these details. So we use these medications and a kinetosaluzumab, ustakinumab, adalumumab, and cyclokinumab. Uh, these are biologics in rheumatology that we use to fight these different signals. Um, so if you're eating a lot of salts, then you're fighting against these medications and their use of it. So even though I have patients on medications, they do flare. So that's why I always talk about diet and see what they're eating. Because sometimes the reason why the medication is not using is maybe because they're eating too much infl inflammatory foods, such as too much salt. And the high salt has been studied in lupus. Uh, so this is in lupus nephritis. And um, they have found that as patients ate too, too much of a salty substance, their lupus did get exacerbated. So this is just an example. Advanced glycation end products are basically your proteins and your fats being attached to sugars. So AGE can be inflammatory when it's in excess and it's associated with inflammation and diabetes, cardiovascular and chronic kidney disease. This is from the American Journal of Lifestyle Medicine. So AGE is associated with food and this is from the Journal of American Dietetics Association. So AGE does go up with higher temperature and just go down with more moisture. So try to cook with more water. And um, it, it's the highest in animal products. So stay away from your bacon. Okay, that's the highest one. And fruits and vegetables are the lowest in AGE. So that's why you want to stick with that. And try not to cook with, with oil because if you do, you're going to increase, you're creating French fries and that has higher AGEs. And processed foods and fats are high in AGEs. Okay, so butter has the most in this little group here. So that's my little tidbit on AGE, just another source of inflammation. So AGE has been studied in rheumatology, but of course there's no medication to fight AGEs. They tried to do this, but and they haven't been done doing it successfully. There's always side effects with medications. Uh, so this is just another example. The higher AGE has been associated with more lupus disease activity and more adult onset still disease activity, another autoimmune disease. So let's talk a little bit about obesity. So obesity um, is not just benign, okay? Excess fat does produce hormones. It, is, it does affect the immune system. Uh, it's called adipokines. Adipokines are signals, are part of your uh, hormones and immune system. It does affect all the different immune cells. It just doesn't sit there. Obesity does affect the autoimmune diseases. It does create inflammation. So it does, so studies are now showing that obesity is correlated. Um, it does correlate with more psoriatic arthritis and more psoriasis. So sometimes if you lose weight, it might take that away. And let's talk about the gut microbiome. 
gut microbiome is so important for nutrient metabolism, drug metabolism, immunomodulation, and antimicrobial protection. But today we're going to talk about the nutrient metabolism and immunomodulation. So why is the gut microbiome important? Because 67% of the mucin is located at the gut. I cannot talk about immunology without talking about the gut microbiome. What's interesting is that right now the gut microbiome is very popular, but not 20 years ago. Um, in our conferences, we do talk about the gut microbiome, gut dysbiosis, but not 20 years ago. So this is something that's emerging, but no one really talks about how food modulates this. We always talk about how how it can affect medications. Um, and I think that we're, we're not talking about the root issue here, which is food. So pregnancy, diet, gender, genetics, previous infection, stress, age, the age can affect the gut microbiome. And this in turn affects autoimmune disease. So how you're born, what medications you're taking, all these things are very, very important. Gut dysbiosis is when your bad gut bacteria is overwhelming your good gut bacteria. This is known as gut dysbiosis and it's prevalent and it's present in lupus and ankylosis spondylitis, psoriatic arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, Sjogren's and vasculitis, along with many other autoimmune diseases as well. Even though these diseases don't touch, you don't really get GI symptoms from it, you have a gut dysbiosis. So short chain fatty acids are so important in our immune system. So fiber, when you eat it, it breaks down to short chain fatty acids. And these are um, fatty acids that do affect the immune system and they affect IgA production, um, which is one of your um, immunoglobulins in your body, which are very important. Uh, it promotes T regulatory cells. Remember, T regulatory cells are anti-inflammatory T cells. Short chain fatty acids promote that and inhibits inflammation. So it has many, many good effects on inflammation at the level of the gut. And short chain fatty acids include acetate, propionate, and butyrate and affects all different organs of the body. This is what is from um, the journal Cell, very, very prestigious journal. And from Nature Reviews, so, it, so this is showing how if you eat a poor diet, it does affect the gut microbiome and it blocks your anti-inflammatory T cells at the level of the gut. And it promotes T helper 17 cells, which are your inflammatory T cells, which then in turn promotes interleukin 17, which are your inflammatory cytokines, which promotes autoimmune disease. So that's how the cascade happens. And I have medications that stop interleukin 17. So when you have gut dysbiosis, it causes an increased intestinal permeability, also known as a leaky gut. When this happens, you have increased foods, viruses, bacteria that can leak through that then in turn communicates with your um, T cells, your immune system in a very detrimental way, promotes inflammation. And that was a level at the gut. So now we're looking at the very, very wider view. So your, this shows you just how medications, your, um, your sex, your food can affect your gut microbiome and affect your pyrus patches which is the area that's housing the immune system at the level of the gut. When that gets affected, the signals do then go to your lymph nodes. And then from the lymph nodes, it travels to the systemic circulation through the blood system. So it can talk to your joints, your brain, um, your lungs, whatever organ, you name it. Your gut talks to every single one of these um, places. So that's how your, the immune system at the gut talks to everything else.
That's why their gut microbiome is so important. And what's interesting is that in our Western medicine, allopathic medicine, we don't really talk about how food affects the gut that much. But in ancient practices, um, that in our alternative, alternative medicine, the gut is central to everything. We're talking about Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, um, functional medicine, integrative medicine. It is so important. So it is very unfortunate that we don't focus on this as a central cause of our issues. Luckily, we do have lifestyle medicine that's talking about it now. Um, so the oral microbiome is also very important for rheumatoid arthritis. So smoking can cause uh, rheumatoid, well, I won't say can cause, but it's associated, it's a high risk factor for rheumatoid arthritis. The reason why is because when you're smoking, we know that it can give you lung cancer, but also it upregulates something called the PAD enzyme. The PAD enzyme does increase uh, P gingival, um, can increase P gingivalis um, also. And when this happens, it increases um, your risk of getting rheumatoid arthritis because it increases the antibody known as CCP antibody. Um, and that's a marker we look for in rheumatology for rheumatoid arthritis. And also, um, when you have periodontitis, which is gum infection, it also increases your P. gingivalis, which is a bacteria, which then upregulates PAD enzyme, which then increases your anti-CCP antibodies as well, which can lead to rheumatoid arthritis also. So I, I always ask my patients about how their teeth are doing, um, because that's something I'm very, very uh, wary of. Epigenetics is also something that we look for in um, the gut microbiome as well. So your genes are not fixed. They can be um, turned on and off through epigenetics. So how does your um, brain cells know that it should be a brain cell? Um, that's through epigenetics because it knows to turn some parts of your genes off. The other parts are turned on to become a brain cell. So in epigenetics, our inflammation can be turned on and off through food modulation as well. Um, so through histone deacetylase, so uh, histone deacetylase, when it goes down and it's inhibited, it does bring down inflammation uh, and then promotes T-retory cells. As you remember, T-retory cells are your, your anti-inflammatory T-cells. Um, and then it has the opposite effect in autoimmune disease. So when you have autoimmune disease, it upregulates histone deacetylase and it upregulates inflammation, which then upregulates T-helper 7 T-cells, which are inflammatory T-cells. So very, very interesting um, how everything is connected. And why am I talking about histone deacetylase and epigenetics? Because of course, um, it's been looked at in rheumatology. Of course, there's no medication that can really block it uh, as of now. If it, they did find something, there was a side effect where it wasn't feasible to use it in the general population. However, food does inhibit uh, histone deacetylase. And all these are your plants, your herbs, your fruits and vegetables, um, which can affect your epigenetics. So it's all tied together. There is no reason why I'm bringing such topics up if it doesn't affect, if it's not affected by food. So um, look at here, your curcumin, your quercetin, your resveratrol and grapes, um, genistein and soy. So all your fruits and vegetables, whole food plant-based diet has tremendous benefits when it comes to your autoimmune diseases, and your overall health in general. So intermittent fasting, I think, can be very, very helpful as well. Of course, not everyone can tolerate intermittent fasting, um, but it can be very, very helpful. Uh, and sometimes you don't want to eat because you're fasting, um, but beer is not part of fasting, <laughs> such as what this child is doing. 
So in the internal medicine, just came out the article two years ago on intermittent fasting and its benefits on health and in inflammation, it does play a role. And what um, fasting does, it increases something called beta hydroxybutyrate. Beta hydroxybutyrate um, is a ketone. So when you talk about ketogenic diet um, or fasting in general, um, it does increase beta hydroxybutyrate when you start fasting, when the time period we're not eating for a long time. And there are fasting centers out there that fast for days. If you do this, you do have to be watched by a practitioner that's experienced with fasting. Um, not everyone should be fasting. Type 1 diabetics should not be fasting because they can throw it to the ICU with um, keto diabetic ketoacidosis. Uh, but when you do increase beta-hydroxybutyrate, it does downregulate the mTOR pathway. And I'll talk, I'll explain more in the next couple of slides, but this pathway is so important. Uh, Dr. Walter Longo is a prominent um, uh, researcher with a PhD that um, has talked about fasting and its benefits in our health. mTOR is upregulated by food, by glucose, by amino acids, so proteins and carbohydrates um, does upregulate up mTOR. But mTOR is needed because you need it to build the building blocks of your body, but you don't always want it to be turned on because it can sometimes induce inflammation. So it's all tied down to inflammation. Remember Treg, Tregatory cells and your T helper 17 cells. These is a seesaw effect of your anti-inflammatory and pro-inflammatory T cells. So um, when you do eat your, sometimes your sugars and your proteins and you do turn on mTOR, um, it does upregulate infl inflammatory T cells. It's not bad to in, um, upregulate these inflammatory T cells. You need it in your body, um, but you don't want it in excess. So when you're fasting, you're blocking your mTOR. So you're, you're not inducing inflammation. So that's why sometimes when people fast, they do feel better. Um, I don't recommend your ketogenic diet because you're eating um, heavy fats and heavy um, meats, which are pro-inflammatory. But when you eat it with, with a whole food plant-based diet with uh, fasting that's controlled, um, like your 12 hour on, 12 hour off, which is very easy. You eat by 7 p.m. and then you wake up and you eat after 7 a.m. That's a form of fasting as well. Some people do um, eat for eight hours and fast for 16 hours. That's another form of fasting. But everyone um, should be very careful of um, if and when they should fast because um, not everyone can tolerate it but it can help with some individuals. Fasting has been looked at in psoriatic arthritis uh, in Ramadan. Uh, it did improve disease activity when patients fasted. It's also been looked at in rheumatoid arthritis. This is a journal. There are a couple fasting um, studies in rheumatoid arthritis, actually dating back to the um, late 80s, early 90s. And um, they, so there was one study. So this study looked at fasting after, um, with the vegetarian diet and patients with rheumatoid arthritis did do better. Um, also there was a study, um, back in the nineties where patients were put on fasting for, I think 10 days, and then they did split them into two cohorts. One went to omnivore diet. Another went to a vegetarian vegan diet for a year. The cohort that did go through a vegetarian or vegan diet did do much better than the cohort that went to an omnivore diet. And both groups did do better during the fasting period of seven to 10 days. So in summary, autoimmune disease is a very, very complicated topic. I think we're just scratching the surface here in regards to research um, with lifestyle medicine and um, epigenetics. It's part genetics and part environment. Nutrition does play a huge role. The gut microbiome is tied to the immune system. Fasting can help decrease inflammation. 
Um, but and again, it's a bandage. It's not the cure all. The cure there is no cure for autoimmune diseases, but you can put it to remission. Okay, once you have autoimmune disease, you'll always have autoimmune disease, but it doesn't mean that you have to have symptoms of it. And it is important to eat a plant predominant diet for an anti-inflammatory diet, and a whole food plant based diet is an excellent option. So um, there's so much that I didn't go over. I mean, there's sleep, the stress, exercise, environmental toxins. I think we're the, scratching the surface with environmental toxins here. Um, pollution has been talked to, has been associated with rheumatoid arthritis and different autoimmune diseases, even multiple sclerosis. Um, I don't have time to talk about today, but it's very, very fascinating field. Even infections with viruses and bacterial infections can um, trigger autoimmune diseases, trauma, childhood trauma, um, any type of abuse, even bullying has been associated with autoimmune diseases. There's so many things you can do um, besides a whole food plant-based diet nutrition. There's acupuncture, tai chi, traditional Chinese medicine. Um, tai chi is part of the osteoarthritis guidelines. Uh, Reiki, aromatherapy, deep breathing, mind-body medicine, Ayurveda, these things can be so helpful as um, with, for tools in fighting autoimmune diseases. And I'm so excited that um, to study integrated medicine because I use these as my toolbox for my patients. And if you want to get to know me better, um, you can always follow me on social media or um, if you want to see me as a patient, please go to our website. And I am seeing patients all through the US and I do see clients internationally as well because I don't need medications to treat my patients. Awesome. Thank you so much. Lots and lots of information. Dr. Yu, yeah, that was wonderful. You know, uh, yes, you're right. There's so much to cover, but and you couldn't cover it all. But what you did share with us was very valuable information. Thank you very much. And I like that, that you said that you don't necessarily prescribe medication because what you're, you're prescribing are really kind of incorporating more lifestyle <coughs> enhancement kind of activities and uh, meditation and things like that. That's awesome. Yeah, that's the beauty of um, doing lifestyle medicine and integrative medicine is that not everyone fits uh, one box. Everyone needs something. Different. Some people need medications. Not every, of course, there's, you share stories of people not using medications going on remission. Um, I'm, one, I'm just one another patient that doesn't use medication to treat my autoimmune disease. Uh, but not everyone can be like me. Um, it, you have to find the right triggers. Um, some people do need a little bit of medication. Some need more. But it's important to find a specialist that understands these so that, and understands lifestyle medicine as well so that they can um, combine the best of both worlds. Uh -huh. Yeah, I'd certainly want to find a physician who can help me get off as many medications as possible. Certainly, if I need them, I need them. But I, you know, I'd much rather not be taking them if I don't need to. If I can find other ways to not take the medications or or lessen what I'm taking, um, I think those are very valuable. Dr. Riz, I think you you will find a connection in what I'm about to say. So you're you deal with. Um, vascular disease a lot and a lot of your patients are on statins mm -hmm. um, statins can be a pretty um a, it's a very very um used uh widely used medication um generally it's known to be pretty safe but in my field it causes um necrotizing myositis um mm -hmm. which um is another i would say autoimmune disease where patients i've seen patients from statin use who are bed bound because the muscles break down so much. It's very rare, of course, necrotizing myositis, but I end up having to give heavy duty um, uh, biologics and medications for them just to get them better. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear you. And so, yeah, I don't think we should just throw statins at people if they got a high cholesterol. I, I, my, my belief is that the first thing should be lifestyle changes uh, to, the, to the greatest extent that a person is able to do so. And then, uh, you know, if you still need to 
uh, put a statin on top of that, then sure, do it. I, I actually think statins are a very valuable drug, um, but they shouldn't be overused, you know, and it shouldn't be our first line of defense. I agree with you completely. Yeah. Dr. Yu, I wonder if individuals who may have all sorts of symptoms related to autoimmune diseases and may not even know that they have such a condition, what is the first step that happens? Do they go to their primary physician kind of complaining about aches, pains, rashes? And then yeah, what exactly. Some patients may say, oh, I have brain fog, fatigue. Um, these are very nonspecific. You can have these symptoms and it can be from any disease, right? This, these are very nonspecific, but they can also be an autoimmune disease. Um, and sometimes patients have joint pain and rashes, but your primary care, um, autoimmune disease, specifically rheumatic disease is such a specialized field. And a lot of doctors actually don't get training in this field that much apart from medical school and like a rotation. So they don't recognize these symptoms and they'll send them to the wrong specialist or they'll just stay with the primary care for a long time until things get a lot worse. And at which time they'll see me or they'll bounce from specialist to specialist for over five years, six years, and they'll finally see me and they're like, the joints are like breaking down and everything. So uh, it, it's really important to get a good primary care doctor, I would say, um, so they can recognize these signs um, and get the appropriate labs and then send yeah. them to an appropriate specialist. Yeah, I, ima I imagine under recognition is a si significant issue uh, and delay in getting care because, you know, uh, they can be very nonspecific and it could be a million different things. And uh, so it's really up to the gatekeeper, the primary care physician uh, to recognize and, and, and refer, right? Exactly. Yeah. And then even, so even if you see a specialist like a rheumatologist and you're not getting the right, you don't think you're getting the right answer, you're having symptoms, always get a second opinion, get a second rheumatologist. Because as a specialist, um, not, every, not every rheumatologist has been trained the same. Not every rheumatologist has seen the same diseases. Um, some places geographically have a heavier disease of one, um, heavier uh, population of one disease than another mm -hmm. um, ge um, geographic location. So it's important to get a second opinion also. That kind of points to an environmental aspect or uh, uh, to disease, right? You know, if there's uh, heavily, if it's different in different geographies, right? Exactly. If, so if there's such a genetic component to this, meaning you can't have an autoimmune um, disease without the gene, is there testing? Can people have, have a panel or check for, do some genetic testing to see if they might be suffering from some of these conditions? Yeah, like, like ankylosing spondylitis is a gene that we, you get. HLA-B27 is one of them. Um, and 80 to 90% of patients with ankylosing spondylitis will have a positive but I mean, this field is still growing. Um, I feel like we're at the beginning of research in rheumatology and um, we do have negative HLA-B27 HLA 27 patients with ankylosing spondylitis. Mm -hmm. um, so there's other markers that still need to be investigated. We don't really get genetic tests for patients. We get more uh, antibody testing for patients to find out whether they have autoimmune disease. But of course they can be negative and still have the autoimmune disease. That's where the field of rheumatology gets very, very tricky because you can have negative antibody tests, negative inflammatory markers and still have lupus, still have rheumatoid arthritis. Oh, right, gosh, right. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's why, you know, you got oh. to rely on your clinical uh, uh, aspects of uh, d diagnosing disease as well. Yeah, exactly. That's where the years of training come in really handy because I have seen negative um, markers and then you just have to rely on your clinical experience and your um, and what the history is. And most of the time, it's the history is really important. 
Okay, we also, um, one of the things we've been wanting to touch on more and more, uh, especially this year, is kind of the racial disparities that we see in medicine. And I think I heard you talk about when addressing like which sort of patients are the ones that are kind of either not diagnosed or not properly treated. They tend to be people that have kind of lower socioeconomic situations. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, a lot of the studies out there for like rheumatoid arthritis and lupus, um, lower socioeconomic status is, has been shown to be a risk factor for the, these diseases and for flares. I mean, if, and I think the reason why, one of the reasons why is because maybe if you're a lower socioeconomic status, you tend to maybe not to go to the doctor sometimes, or um, you, you may not have a, let's say you don't have a car, you don't have a ride taking the bus and sometimes you might miss appointments or you're far away from a doctor or um, sometimes these places have a long wait time. I work at a county hospital um, one day a week and these patients, sometimes they, you know, they don't, they're on Medicaid um, and they don't live, uh, they and maybe a lower socioeconomic level. And sometimes it takes a year to see a specialist because the wait time is so long mm-hmm. or um, maybe they're living in an area maybe they're in the lower socioeconomic status, the areas don't have specialists, you know? Um, let's say you're in the middle of New Mexico or somewhere, um, or another um, area of the world, where uh, the nation where there's uh, some state, some cities don't have rheumatologists, some states don't have specialists. So how do you see these doctors you can? Or sometimes you just stay at home and, um, and sometimes your, your friends and family are sick or something, you got to take care of them and you don't have, um, a way to see, especially if you don't have insurance. Um, and it's unfortunate the way the insurance system is set up. Um, there's patients, you know, I have patients in my clinic who are in the middle. They, they don't qualify for Medicaid, but they don't make enough to pay to afford um, insurance, right? So you're stuck in the middle. So you, you don't want to pay that insurance because you got to feed your family. Um, so you don't, so you end up not seeing a doctor. I have patients like these who finally see me because they finally get on Medicaid, but they can't see their doctor, um, cause they don't have insurance and they don't want to pay, uh, um, out of pocket for it. So they spend years in pain. Um, so that's another risk. We talk about that all the time, the limitations of insurance companies and what they've done to medicine, you know, just in general, the system is very complicated. And, you know, I, when we talk about job security, one of the key things that we want is healthcare coverage, like we want that insurance so that in case we need it, but at the same time, then we're limited when it comes, they don't cover lifestyle components, you know, modalities, right? Exactly. That's why I I don't take insurance in my clinic because um, I spend so much time with my patients. I spend an hour with my patients talking about everything we just talked about. Um, also t- digging into the root causes of what, so when patients come to me, I ask, why do you have lupus? Why do you have rheumatoid arthritis? Um, these things just don't come out of the blue. Um, there's always some trigger to it. So I, I got some questions. You talked about myositis uh, and uh, you know, we've got a, a significant proportion of our population who are who have chronic fatigue syndrome. What's the relationship there? Is some chronic fatigue syndrome myositis? Is it all myositis? Oh, what do you, what's your thoughts on all that? Yeah, chronic fatigue syndrome is a very, very big category. So um, chronic fatigue syndrome, they actually changed the um, diagnosis of it. They changed it, um, something, um, myo, 
encephalitis, something like that. Um, they changed the term recently. Uh, it's just it's, it's just easier for me to say chronic fatigue syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> Much easier to say, yeah. Um, so chronic fatigue, you, you can get fatigue from autoimmune disease. You can get fatigue from um, a thyroid issue, from diabetes, um, from a, yeah, untreated diabetes, uh, from uh, multiple sclerosis, the beginning of multiple sclerosis. So it's a very uh, fatigue is a very very non-specific um, symptom. Uh, but if you're talking about chronic fatigue syndrome, that's very very difficult to treat. Okay, some chronic fatigue syndrome patients do end up in rheumatology, some end up in endocrinology, um, neurology, um, but that's one of the hardest um, syndromes to treat because, frankly, in Western medicine, we have no answer for that, no good answer. Okay, mm -hmm. that's this is one of the, the syndromes that uh, that that motivated me to go into integrated medicine and functional medicine because I feel like this is where um, the root cause issues can be explained. So you, so the way I approach it, so you get your thyroid panel, you look for obvious uh, causes like diabetes, um, you look for autoimmune disease, you ask all, the very detailed history to see what else they have besides chronic fatigue. And then you dig into psychiatric, psychologic issues, root causes. Um, my fibromyalgia patients have a lot of chronic fatigue. So um, then you figure out what else it could be. And then, so there's no good medication for this. So um, that's when you do specialized testing sometimes. That's when you have to focus on, of course, the diet, nutrition, lifestyle medicine is very important here. And you have to fix that. And then you go into maybe supplements. What supplements do they need to um, upregulate some of their um, anti-inflammatory pathways to mm -hmm. help them? So, um, and some herbs can help this as well. Um, and maybe acupuncture can help. So just having a lot of tools in my toolbox and mm -hmm. really um, tailoring my care for the patient can sometimes get them through chronic fatigue. That's very interesting. I, I, and I'm curious to know if uh, you've had patients who come to you with that kind of, and you know, the, the end of the line, no one's been able to diagnose them yet. They still feel that way. So they get this diagnosis called chronic fatigue. And then when you start to work with them, does whole food plant-based nutrition, have you, have, have you had a significant number who are willing to try it and what impact has it had? Yeah. Yeah. Some patients, I mean, that they're, they come to me because I'm integrative um, and they're happy and they're working with another like um, a natural path of functional medicine and more of a their specialist. So some of them don't want to do a whole food premise because they don't want to go vegan. Um, but um, I do have patients who do go vegan and um, they do a lot better. Um, of course, it's not because because your whole food premise doesn't mean it's uh, bulletproof, right? It's not right. magic. Um, right. But there are properties that do get a lot better to go, go to remission. Do you think that's an inflammation thing? It's inflammation, yeah. Uh, yeah. The root cause of a lot of diseases are inflammation, right. I believe, especially autoimmune disease. We talked about turmeric and curcumin, okay? And you had shown that slide about how it affects all of these interleukins, okay? And now we've got, we got a, we're in a pandemic uh, uh, and COVID. One of the things that kills COVID patients is an interleukin storm that happens, you know, around day seven to 10. And do you think that there's a place for just plain old turmeric in the treatment of our hospitalized sick COVID patients? Yeah, I, I'm glad you bring that up because as rheumatologists, we we are the doctors who treat um, the cytokine storm. So the interleukin cytokine storm. storm yeah. yeah, yeah, that's also known as the cytokine storm. Um, and our diseases and autoimmune disease do trigger cytokine storms. Um, although osteoarthritis disease is a very classic disease that does this. Um, so. Uh, 
at the hospital that I was training at in um, Loma Linda, the rheumatology department were the ones that are treating the COVID patients with cytokine storms with our medications. The tocilizumab, which they use now for a cytokine storm, um, also known as like Tamra, is a classic medication we use in rheumatology. And the Kenra, the interleukin blocker, is another one we use for cytokine storm as well. So when we talk about turmeric um, for uh, the cytokine storm, I think it can be used, but I don't think it'll bring down the cytokine storm. Um, because cytokine storm is, by the time you're in cytokine storm, your body's pretty much, you're in a state ready for the ICU. Yeah, okay? yeah. And I don't think any, any amount of turmeric will bring that cytokine storm down. You need heavy duty medications or else you're going to be um, intubated, ready yeah. um, to go. I think just um, eating a whole food plant-based diet, eating the rainbow, even before you get COVID, I think yeah. um, is very important. Um, getting that inflammation down because when you, it's not only building the inflammation, but it's also eating the antioxidants, um, getting the minerals in, um, just building up your body's immune system mm -hmm. um, is very, very important. And that doesn't happen overnight. That takes a while to do. Um, so if you get your body, you got to optimize your innate immune system, your adaptive immune system, get them ready to go because your immune system is the military of your body. So if you're not eating right, you're, 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 having, you're in a state of chronic inflammation, but you're eating well, you're optimized. And then even when you see COVID, you're at least um, much, you're much better positioned to fight COVID. And yeah. hopefully you'll decrease the chance of getting cytokine storm. Right. And, and Maya and I have been involved in a couple of online summits with PCRM talking about how to fight COVID through nutrition. And, but, and you said it doesn't happen overnight, but it happens quicker than most people think. You know, uh, like you said, within three months, your symptoms had receded. And I, I see it time and time again when people uh, improve their nutrition and change their diet, many of their problems go away within weeks to months. Mm -hmm. it's not, it, doesn't take, it doesn't take years. And so you can, you, can, you can change your health, not overnight, but almost overnight. And, yeah. I, and I, that's what I want, people to, I want people to understand. You can improve your health rather quickly. For sure. Exactly. I, you've talked about cardiac disease and people that suffer with autoimmune disease have a higher risk for cardiac disease. If the autoimmune condition disease is controlled, does that change the cardiac um, risk? And then you've also mentioned COVID-19. You know, we know a lot of people are afraid of getting the vaccination, but I've heard you say that a virus can actually bring on or trigger um, an autoimmune disease. The first question. So um, a lot of rheumatic disease patients um, do have an increased risk of cardiac disease. Um, lupus patients have a 50 times greater risk of getting a heart attack than the general population. Rheumatoid arthritis does have a greater risk of mortality from heart disease. I think heart disease is probably the, one of the top killers of autoimmune diseases. Um, and for what's interesting is that, um, so I think getting the information under control, whether through meds or with uh, lifestyle medicine um, mm -hmm. can decrease the risk of heart disease uh, from autoimmune disease. But what's interesting is that even if when you have your um, cholesterol levels controlled, you still have a high risk of a um, cardiac disease and mortality from our autoimmune diseases. It's because of the inflammation, it's not the cholesterol levels. Um, so there are studies now trying to see which medications and rheumatology are going to help with the cardiac disease mortality. Yes. Uh, that's just coming out. So it's, the inflammation is an underlying factor for cardiac disease in rheumatology disease as well. And I think for, um, I think you would agree with me, um, 
risk is that um, inflammation is part of the pathogenesis for cardiac disease and heart attack. So if you yes. get that under control with diet um, and lifestyle medicine, it can be very fruitful for all different diseases. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I have a slide in one of my presentations that shows what's happening at the microscopic level and inflammation is a significant aspect of that. With and, the plaque know, and everything. Yeah, at, at, the, at the plaque level. And it, you know, it involves our, uh, our immune system. Uh, you know, and, uh, so you, and we know that, for example, diabetes doubles the level of inflammation at the microscopic level. And so there are so many things. And I'm sure then an autoimmune disease where you're chronically inflamed or, you know, it, it will increase the inflammation at that microscopic level as well. Yeah. Exactly. And then um, just going over your second question. Um, so yes, the viruses can spark autoimmune diseases, EBV, CMV, hepatitis. Um, they have all been known to trigger autoimmune diseases. Usually in rheumatology, we don't dig into those. Um, when they come to our clinic, we don't test for EBV and all these different things because um, essentially the treatment's all the same. Um, sometimes patients do come to us with hepatitis C and then sometimes they end up getting vasculitis or rheumatoid arthritis or some other autoimmune diseases. Yeah. And then, um, but usually by this time, they um, have already been seeing uh, infectious disease specialists or another um, specialty and they do get some weird symptoms and that's when we come along and then we work with them to figure out what's the best regimen for these patients. Um, but besides viruses, um, yeah, so like some patients I have, I, I dig into the history. I'm like, what happened 20 years ago before you end up getting these symptoms? They're like, oh, I got mono or I got, yeah, mono, I got EBV. So I'm like, okay, that's probably what sparked it. Um, but my, my um, treatment plan doesn't really change. Um, mm -hmm. But it's very interesting to know this. And um, what's interesting is vaccines can also trigger autoimmune diseases. That's one thing that a lot of people don't know. Um, it's rare, but it's also um, something that um, people should know it's not common. It's, but there are case reports out there in literature, you can search on PubMed, um, that whether it's a flu vaccine, hepatitis vaccine, um, it has been known to be a potential trigger of autoimmune diseases um, of different kinds. But the benefits outweigh the risks for vaccines. That's why I do promote um, vaccines. So when you say rare and you talk about case reports, for our audience to understand, a case report is a one-off. It's an anecdote. It's not something that comes out of a study. And when you say rare, it's probably one in millions. So it's uh, not, not something that uh, people can expect it to be like, okay, I'm going to get a... F when, almost everybody gets a fever from their uh, COVID vaccine shot, you know, uh, and uh, but that's not so... But as far as an autoimmune disorder, that's going to be one in millions. Right. Yeah, it's, it's not um, very, very um, common. I remember some case reports where a patient got, I think, a flu vaccine, and then um, she had an autoimmune disease called polymyalgia rheumatica and mm -hmm. went away with steroids. She got another flu vaccine, and it came back again. Um, oh. So it does happen. So we want to make sure that our listeners know that you're available. Uh, you're practicing telehealth, telemedicine in 17 states. And I guess they can go to your website to figure out which states those are. And what's the first thing that they need to do? Um, do they need to be referred by their primary physician? or do No, they, just, they can just go to the website and literally just uh, register as a patient and then make their own appointment on the website. Um, we don't need a referral. Um, I don't take insurance. I only take Medicare. Um, and then I'm licensed in Texas because I know you're based out of Texas, but I'm licensed in many other states as well. Washington, Oregon now, um, I'm based in California, but you just go to the website 
And if I'm not licensed in your state, I can always get your state license. Well, I know I have a lot of people that here locally that will be very interested in speaking to you. Thank you so much for having me. Enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Great information. Thanks again. Take care. You've been listening to the Plant-Based DFW podcast show. If you like our content, please like, share, and leave a review. Our goal is to provide quality episodes to help support the community.